Blog Talk Radio. Plan more, fear less. Diabetes Late Night. I fell in love with you the first time I looked into them nights. You have a certain little cute way of flirting with them nights. They make me feel so happy. And you started something with them nails. You'd better look out, little brown eyes, if you wise. They boggle, they bubble, get you in a lot of trouble. Ah, oh, baby, them nails. Hello, divas and dudes. Are you ready? Because I'm ready to welcome you to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and thank you for tuning in. Tonight, I'd like to empower you to manage your diabetes with confidence and knowledge with inspiration from Billie Holiday. She's one of the most important singers of the 20th century. She sang and co-wrote songs that have become no less than jazz standards, like God Bless a Child and Strange Fruit. She's inspired singers across the genres and generations with her innovative, fully original vocals. Tonight, we're looking back at this extraordinary jazz legend and talking about milestones in our diabetes lives. For me, one of the biggest milestones in my diabetes life was founding founding Divabetic in 2005. Of course, the memories of Divabetic will always be bittersweet for me because I'm reminded of the time I, uh, at that time I was working for Luther Vandross and Luther had a, um, his unexpected passing due to diabetes health related complications. That's what inspired me to create my diva brand of diabetes education. 10 years later, I still feel that his stroke could have been prevented, which is why I feel it's so important to be vocal about your diabetes and open up about your struggle as well as your successes to your friends, coworkers, and family. The big lessons that I learned is that it's important to empower the people around you. You need to teach them what you do, what you do in order to treat a higher low so that they can help you avoid danger. It's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. My boss asked for my help when he was putting on shows, but unfortunately he didn't ask for my help when it came to managing his diabetes, which I truly believe with all my heart was a mistake because I would have gladly helped him any way I could. He changed my life, and starting Divabetic changed my life, too. When I picked up a sword and became a diabetes advocate is when I was finally able to lay down my grief and regret, which is why I'm looking back at this 10-year milestone with some joy and happiness. And I want you to know I'm happy to be celebrating uh, this milestone tonight as well as on Thursday night, April 16th from 6 to 7, when I host a tribute to Luther Vandross celebrating his music and his career in the 1990s, which is the decade when I first started working for him. I hope you join us. Now stay tuned for an action-packed hour of diabetes education and empowerment with the Charlie's Angels of Outreach, best-selling author Brenda Novak, poet Lorraine Brooks, Mama Rosemary, and real-life diva Marie from Los Angeles. They're all coming up, but before we get things started, take a minute and donate to divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Let's hear another song from our diva inspiration for April, uh, courtesy of Sony Music. 
love a man, oh, where can you be? Welcome back. Tonight we're talking about uh, milestones on Diabetes Late Night with inspiration from Billie Holiday. You know, Billie Holiday would have been 100 years old this year, and her musical achievements encompass nearly three decades. But the sad truth is that her addiction is what most of us think of. I know I think of her as a junkie, like the way Diana Ross portrayed her in the movie Lady Sings the Blues, rather than as a girl who grew up in Philadelphia and became one of the greatest jazz singers in the world. As one music critic said, people using drugs, that happens every day. Becoming a great singer doesn't happen that much. Tonight, I think it's important to think of Billie Holiday and remember her much more than for the white blossoms in her hair, in her hair or the needle marks on her arm. I want to remember her for the masterpieces and create, creativity she ha- made happen just like the creativity and masterpieces that my first guest always uh, lends to the show, please welcome poet, TV host, the lovely, the divine, Miss Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. Good evening. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be back. You know, I know you um, You also do some counseling on the side around addiction, and uh, I don't know, did you ever see Lady Sings the Blues with Billie Holiday? I saw it a long time ago, yes. I saw it with Diana and, Ross, yes. Yeah, so she was, you know, famously portrayed as being um, not only an alcoholic, but also having a very serious uh, heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. And I know for a lot of people, uh, you know, th- these these are very difficult times. And a lot of people turn to substances to help them kind of, um, for comfort, sometimes for aid. I know uh, Robert Downey Jr. this week on the MTV Video Awards kind of admitted to his drugs, uh, his past substance abuse, and also spoke honestly about how difficult it was to get back into the industry and to claim, you know, where he is today and how far he was able to come when he hit such a rock bottom. Unfortunately, in Billie Holiday's case, she was never able to come back after what she went through and, and died at a very young age. So, um, what do you just talk to me a little bit about what happens in counseling? Because I think a lot of times people aren't sure when to go to counseling and when they, and I, I'd be curious to hear your uh, input on that. Um, well, a, a couple of things. Uh, number one, I think the word counseling is probably not quite the right word. I think if someone has uh, a serious drug problem uh, and is addicted to something, uh, what we do is. Um, we offer them um, a way to gain insight into their behavior, but also to help them understand why it is that they chose drugs as a way of coping. What we try to do is give people better coping skills so that they don't have to resort to some substance or behavior in order to, um, you know, in order to uh, help with their anxiety. So it's 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 more than um counseling it's really um uh helping people develop insights and giving them some skills so that they can negotiate their lives in in, in a more healthy way. Um the, a lot of heroin is actually making a comeback. I'm sure you've heard uh and read in the newspapers and heard that a lot of people are now resorting to heroin as a result of not being able to get OxyContin which is a prescribed opiate painkiller, 
And um, when people run out of options and doctors are no longer willing to give them prescriptions, they're going back to street heroin. So I think we're going to see a lot more, uh, unfortunately, we're probably going to see a lot more uh, heroin addiction um, soon. And uh, in the community, uh, people are trying very hard to get people to understand uh, the dangers of it. And it's good to talk about it. I'm glad you mentioned it. Thank you, Max. Um, no, thank you for talking about it. And I hope people, if they're seeking help, there's so many things available online, aren't they? Uh, aren't there, Lorraine, for people well, to Well, um, you know, the, the, the thing is, it's important to understand that when someone is really an addict, it's a, it's, a, it's a whole different disease. And, in fact, it is a disease, in my opinion. I'm one of the people who believes that addiction is, an, is a disease. And as such, it really needs treatment. And there are lots of online resources uh, that will direct you to places that can uh, help you to obtain treatment. But if one needs treatment, one needs to to see a professional. Uh, so I, I would encourage people to um, to you know visit websites that that help to deal with addictions like AA and uh, Narcotics Anonymous and things like that. But if someone is really an addict, they they need they need generally need professional help and uh there of course are a lot of places available that uh offer professional help and yes you can find some of them uh online but i i just have to say cautiously to uh as you would with any physician or any any healthcare professional to uh do some homework and make sure that you're seeing the right person who has an expertise in what you need Absolutely. I agree with that. All right. Well, let's get on to some inspiration. I know um, I'm a big fan of Billie Holiday. I know you are, too, and I'm looking forward to hearing your poem this month. So I just have to say that my mother would have been 100 years old this year, too, so uh, they're the same age. I never knew that before. Wow. Uh, So the name of my poem is Lady Day. When nighttime falls on troubles and finds a way through the thickness of time, In roundabout sound measures, it finds a voice sublime. A wandering soul awakens, sheer talent and strength to be had, weaves warmth and tone through tears, for times can be fierce and bad. Marking points, boundaries, milestones, creations, harbingers of change, all the questions life offers, are soon to be rearranged to circles, boxes, shafts of light, creating motionless passage to hope. And with the sounds of peace anew and bold, milestones make reasons to cope. Lady Day and Princess Night, hold on to your spirits as they soar. Restore us to perfect health and mind, Make ways where none existed before. Each hour is a milestone and each day is a chance to lift our voices, make a sound. As Billy did in her own soulful way, open the gate, circle the wagons, life unbound. Lady Day, Lady B, Lady Strong, charged with the will to be understood, Lady be the way for all of us and each of us to say, Lady, be good. Great job, Lorraine. Thank you so much. Thank you, Max. 
Now, you know, uh, um, Billie Holiday was, uh, wrote a lot of her songs. She didn't write the next song coming up, but I, I, I'm sure you really enjoyed the, par- the power of the message. In, 19- in the 1930s, when Billie Holiday was working at Columbia, working with Columbia Records, she was first introduced to the poem Strange Fruit, an emotional mm-hmm. piece about the lynching of a black man. Through Columbia, although Columbia would not allow her to record the piece due to the subject matter, she went on to record the song with an alternative label, Commodore, and the song eventually became one of Holiday's classics. So I thought, you know, I wanted to frame it around you, Lorraine, and play because your poetry has such, I know, is so strong. Our listeners love hearing you every month. And here's someone who, uh, they took her, this poem, put it to music with Billie Holiday's voice, and, and it, I think, uh, had so much power and still does today. Let's take a listen, courtesy of Sony Music, to Strange Fruit. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves. Blood at the root Black bodies swinging In the southern breeze Strange fruit hanging From the poplar tree You're listening to Divey's Late Night and I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Tonight we're talking about milestones with inspiration from Billie Holiday. My next guest has had many milestones. In fact, one of them is her online auction for Divey's Research, which has raised millions of dollars. Please welcome best-selling author Brenda Novak. Hi, Brenda. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight. Oh, I'm excited to be here. You know, you have so many milestones in your life going on right now. I don't know where to start first. You have the your your first cookbook is coming out. You have uh, we're going to talk about all these amazing box sets that you've created to uh, benefit diabetes research. Plus, you have a milestone with how much money you've raised with the online auction. You make fifty look fabulous. But I thought I would start with the newest one, which I read about on Facebook yesterday. And that's that RT Book Review Magazine just announced this year's winners for Career Achievement. And you won the award for Contemporary Romance. Yes, yes. It's my 50th book will be published this year. And they um, recognized my efforts in this field with this award. And I'll be going back to um, Dallas this next in a month, over my birthday actually, and, and to collect my rewards. So that'll be really nice. Wow, well, that's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, I've been researching you, and I found out you started writing uh, when you came home from work one day. You were a loan officer, and you found your babysitter drugging your kids with cough syrup to keep them, well, make them sleep. Yeah, Is that true? Going on for a, yeah, it had been going on for a while, actually. I found it in my baby's bottle, and then that explained several things that had happened you know, why um, they were getting up in the night even though they weren't tired. They wanted to play. They weren't tired or sick, and so they were getting too much sleep during the day. And So anyway, certain things that weren't really adding up kind of sort of did when I when I found that, and I knew what had been going on. So I confronted her and um, fired her, of course, and then I could no longer trust anybody else with my children. I felt so terrible that they had been exposed to this. So then I stayed home with them myself, but I needed to do something to help financially. So I was trying to think of what I could do. You know, I had three little kids. I've since had two more. 
and um, needed something from home. So I thought, well, I'm a really fast typist. Maybe I can start a typing service. You know, I was going through every every skill I had, trying to think of some way to make money. And I was reading a good book at the time, and I just it kind of carried me away from, from a difficult time. And I was enjoying it so much. I remember when I closed it, I thought, I wonder if I could do this. And that's where I first got the idea to write a book. I started the next day, and once the bug bit, and I've never looked back. I just really have loved finding what I feel like I was meant to do. Did you have any failure at first, or was your first book, I mean, you just said you're celebrating 50 books out, so was your first book picked up immediately? Um, well, it was. It was It was published by HarperCollins, but I did make it sound a little easier than it was. It took me five years to research the time period, because that was a historical set in the Victorian era. And so it took me five years to re- do the research. It wasn't like we had the Internet in, in the way it is today. It was just starting, right. so I couldn't use it for research. So I'd have to wait until my husband came home, and he was working very long hours trying to save his um, business. His business was in trouble. And so he'd come home at about 8 o'clock, and I'd shove all the kids at him, and I'd take off for the um, college library, and I'd get there with only about 15 minutes to spare before closing, and I'd pump there printer full of nickels and dimes trying to get enough material from their research books that I could work the next day and then I'd rush home and and write and work some more so in during that five years you know I had two more children and and had to teach myself the craft of writing as well as the time period so I had a lot of work to do and it took me that long to finish that first book but then once I did finish it I was very fortunate in that it finaled in a major contest for unpublished authors and that gave me a little bit of credibility, which helped me get an agent, and she sold that first book to HarperCollins. That's an incredible story. I, I, I feel so honored just to hear you tell that. And I know that the, the romance and contemporary romance writers, you're so supportive of each other. We've had Kim Boykin on, and she's um, talked so highly of you and how supportive everyone is, established authors like yourself, and helping out new authors find their place, and you do a lot of lecturing and and I, I just find the whole community of um, contemporary romance is just so supportive to each other. What's one of the biggest Oh, any, any kind of romance, yeah. Yeah, what's one of the biggest pitfalls you think new writers make or people trying to get published? What would you say is like one of their number one mistakes they make? Oh, boy. Nowadays I would have to say because there is self-publishing, which we also didn't have back then, people can hit publish as soon as they finish their manuscript. And sometimes... I think that's a little premature. I think that when there were gatekeepers to the publishing realm, it forced you to really perfect your work and just keep jumping higher trying to make it through. And I think if it's too easy, sometimes people are not um, objective enough about their own work, so we're ending up with a lot of books being published that probably have used better editing or you know, some re- revision and stuff. So that's probably the biggest mistake that's happening now. Um, but like you say, the romance community is super supportive. We have Romance Writers of America, which is a fabulous writing organization of over 10,000 people. We have a major conference every year. And it was in this warm environment that I started my annual online auction. And it was these people and their readers who primarily helped me raise the $2.5 million that I've raised for diabetes research. Yeah, so now let's talk about that because that is phenomenal. Frankly, it's phenomenal. It's bigger than phenomenal. I, I'm like your... You're like my idol. So how did you even come up with this idea? Because for everyone who's always thinking they want to do something, I don't think a lot of people realize how many times you have to ask for favors. And, you know, that gets to be yeah. kind of problematic. So 
I, you know, I think everyone yeah. thinks, oh, it must have been a snap for Brenda. But I, I have to say from my own experience that turning to your friends and your peers and other writers that you really uh, respect and worship and having to ask for a favor must have been difficult for you to do that. So we should back up first it, it and was. tell everyone you had yeah. such great motivation because your youngest son uh, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was in kindergarten. And so that's what one of the things that motivated you to want to do this and create an auction that raises money for diabetes research. And people could go check out your website now and see what's available. So how did, how did, you, how did you take the idea and make it go forward? Well, actually, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew that I didn't have a lot of resources. I was just launching my writing career. I had all these children. I didn't have a lot of money or time. So, but I had this tremendous drive, this, you know, this desire to protect my child and everybody else who was fighting this disease because there are so many, way too many. And so I, I really felt the drive. I remember going to a, a, a fundraiser where the people raised about 12000 in a fun little gambling night, a fake gambling night. And, I mean, I left in tears because I was like, how do I do that? You know, Ted, I, I've got to do this, but I don't know where to start. And he kept telling me, oh, there's, there'll be a time, there'll be a season, you know, when the kids get older, just relax, you've got so much going on. And I just couldn't take that as an answer. So it wasn't too long after that that I was at a silent auction for my son's elementary school. And they had done such a phenomenal job getting some really great things there to auction off, but they just didn't get a lot of support and they weren't getting the bids. And I felt so bad for the amount of work that had gone into this and the fact that I didn't think it was going to be as successful as it should have been. And as I was standing there, it hit me that there's got to be a better way than trying to drive you know, massive amounts of people to one location and feed them all dinner and have it be at one certain time because maybe some people aren't available at that time. So then it hit me that I'd already established this flow of traffic to my website because of my writing, and maybe I could encourage those people to get on board with me and help me do some fundraising. But as you said, it's very difficult to ask people for something, and I am especially fall in that category. I don't like asking for favors, um, especially if I can't return something in kind. And when you're one person and you're working with a 1,000 people who are helping with a fundraiser, you can't do a personal favor for all 1,000 of those people. There's just not enough of you. So it, it has been a difficult point over the years that, you know, you do feel so grateful and there's not enough that you can do back. Um, and then you have to get to a point where you realize, you know, they're doing it to do a good service for the world as well, and hopefully that's enough payment. Um, and most of them do act that way. They've been very, very generous. Well, thank you. On behalf of the whole diabetes community, I just have to thank you for thinking out of the box and doing that. I think it's it's just incredible what you've done. Now you've kind of transformed that online auction into these wonderful limited edition box sets that you're offering. All the proceeds from them are is still going to diabetes research, and you have several of them. And in each box set, you have an amazing array of authors. Today, on the Divabetic Facebook page, I posted about Sweet Dreams, which is 12 um, suspense short stories written by 13 best-selling authors. But you also have Sweet Talk and Sweet Seduction. Tell us a little bit about the box set. Well, these actually aren't short stories, which is the excitement of behind them, because short stories you know, would only be maybe 20 pages long each. These are full-length novels, some of them, and some are novellas, which are not quite as long as a novel, okay. but they're way longer than a short story. So you're getting a lot of really great reading material for a very inexpensive price, which makes it a win-win. It's only $9.99 per box. And so for like Sweet Dreams, there's actually 13 stories in there. So you're getting 13 stories for $9.99, all the proceeds of which are going to the Diabetes Research Institute because they're doing such fabulous 
your-focused work. And I decided to do these because last year when I was running the online auction, I decided to try one. Now that that e-books are such a popular thing and most people have e-readers, it's what makes it possible. So I put together one with some really big-name authors, um, but it was older work, repurposed work. And we didn't have time to do new work by the time I got the idea to do this, but we wanted to test the idea and see how it would work. And so in just one month's time, which was the only length of time it was available, we raised $100,000 net to the charity. And that was enough to tell me that, oh, my gosh, this idea can really work. And then at the end of that month, you know, everybody gets their stories back, so it doesn't hurt the authors. And it raises a lot of money for diabetes. So I thought, well, I'm going to expand on that idea. And this year I'm going to do a thriller box set, a contemporary romance box set, and a hot romance box set, sort of all a Fifty Shades of Grey, since that was all the rage. And we decided that with these three box sets, we would just go out and sell as many copies as we can and see if we can't, you know, raise at least $300,000 this in May and June. We're also having them be on sale just a little longer, two months instead of one. So, you know, they're limited edition. You can only get them in that, those two months, and they're a lot of great reading material, and all the money goes to research. So, to me, that's just a win-win-win all the way around. You're a little bit of an overachiever, Brenda Novak, is what I have to say for you. I feel like a complete loser right now. I don't know how my other my listeners are feeling, but we have because I have one more thing to talk to you about before we let you go. You also have a new cookbook coming that came out. Love that, Brenda Novak's Every Occasion Cookbook. You have a co-author on this, and this book is really filled with healthy recipes, and it's for people who are juggling careers and children and families and still want to put a healthy meal on the table. So tell us a little bit <laughs> about that, and then and then I want to lay down for a while and just think about what you're doing and pretend it was me. <laughs> you're cute. You're doing a lot of really great work, so certainly don't put that down. I I, you could collapse but... the amount of stuff I do into the first ten minutes of your life, I think, and that would be, you know, <laughs> I mean, wow. You're funny. Well, I'd pro- my family probably wishes I'd slow down a little bit because I'm always going Mach 1 with my hair on fire, but it has been, um, you know, a nice journey. It's been a really great journey, and I don't know if I had known in advance how much work this cook book would be if I would have taken it on because it's been much harder than the box set Um, but I'm really glad I did it now and I absolutely could not have done it without my middle daughter it made me so happy I had helped her through college and bought her a nice camera because she basically um, you know cooked all the food for staging purposes she did all the staging she did the photography she ended up having to even design the book when our when our current designer um, wasn't able to come through like we had hoped so she has just done a phenomenal job. I'm really proud of the way it's turned out. These are recipes that I was very involved in picking which ones and trying to find, you know, just the right middle-of-the-road approach. They're not super extreme because, again, I had to raise a family, and only one of us was diabetic. And those meals had to taste good, you know, even if they were healthy. <laughs> My kids wanted something that was good to come home and eat. And so I had to be really careful to make sure that everybody's needs were met. And this cookbook is the result of that. It's, you know, 75 of my healthiest, most um, family-pleasing recipes and compiled into one. I don't know if I'll ever do another cookbook. I mean, maybe I will once we get beyond this one if it goes over well enough. But we wanted to do a little something with these recipes so we could continue to raise money. And it's something that doesn't have to be limited to just one or two months because nobody else owns it. These are owned by me. So I can leave it up for diabetes research indefinitely and hopefully over time we'll be able to raise a lot of money that way too. 
phenomenal. And they can check out all this on your website. It's it's is it Brenda Novak Live uh, online auction? No, com? not this year. It's Brenda Novak for the cure dot org. That other uh, email was when we were running the online auction, which we did for 10 years, and we may pick up and do again, but we kind of was hoping that these box sets might be able to replace that to save me from having to go knock on doors and get all those items up for bid, uh, which is just what you mentioned, how hard it is to keep going back to your friends and family and asking for more, asking for more. So this was my way of kind of changing it up, giving everybody a break, and seeing if we couldn't raise just as much in this other way. Wow. Brendan Novak, thank you so much on behalf of the diabetes community for all you do. And you know what? I'm going to make a promise. When you come out with the second cookbook, which listeners we know is going to happen next year just by hearing her talk, uh, you're going to come back on the show and we'll talk about that too. Thank you for being a part of the show tonight. We really appreciated it. And check out all those wonderful offerings from Brendan Novak and help support the Diabetes Research Institute. What a great organization. It's online too, uh, diabetesresearchinstitute.org. All right, well, uh, listeners, guess what? We're going to listen to another song by Billie Holiday, which was honored with the Grammy Hall of Fame Award in 1976, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's take a listen to God Bless the Child. Them that's God shall get, them that's not shall lose. So the Bible said, and it still is new. Mama made. But God bless the child that's got his own, that's got his own. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and it's time to meet the Charlie's Angels of Outreach. Ooh la la. That's right, too, the sexiest, smartest. Women working in diabetes education today, please welcome Susan Weiner from New York. Hi, Susan. Hi, Max. So grateful to be here tonight. All right. And hi, Patricia Addy-Gentle from Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Max. I am so happy to be a part of the program tonight. I hope I'm excited to have both of you on here, but I'm dying uh, to know what you thought of Brenda Novak. I mean, all those accomplishments. <laughs> it's a hard act to follow, ladies. I know you could do it, though. <laughs> I, we'll try. <laughs> all right, we well, will Susan, do that. you know, we're talking about milestones tonight, and even though Brenda Novak listed several, you have a big announcement to make because you're celebrating a, a new milestone with all my listeners tonight we were talking about on Facebook. What is it? Oh, I'm very excited to announce that I have a new book coming out. And again, Brenda is so inspiring, but uh, to follow up with my announcement, I have a new book coming out called Diabetes 365, Tips for Living Well, Expert Advice to Help You Thrive Every Day by Demos Health. And I wrote the book because I've been a registered dietitian and a diabetes educator for over 27 years, and I walk alongside all of my patients on their journeys towards better health, and I love experiencing all their health milestones one step, one stone at a time. So I came up with this book because instead of bombarding our patients with information, just taking one tip, one thing that you can change to improve your life and your health with diabetes really makes sense to me. So that's what the book is about, and I am more than excited to announce it on your show tonight, Max. Thank you. Well, and listeners, i got a sneak peek at it. It's a delightful book, and just like 
um, Susan said, it's like pocket, you know, it's like bite-sized information you could deal with every day. So if you're feeling overwhelmed or burned out, it's definitely something you want to check out. I'll be blogging about it this week. Patricia, you have a major milestone that just happened in your family. What was it? Well, Max, my husband and I have been married for 31 years, and he has lived in the U.S. during this time as a legal alien resident. And last month, he was able to become a U.S. citizen. And he is, and, and I as well, we are very proud of this milestone in his life. Um, he's been a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen all this time without the status. And now he is delighted, enthusiastic, and just overjoyed that he now has the ability to vote that is the one thing that he really wanted to be able to do. He um, has a, a terrific understanding and admiration for the freedom and the various benefits that this country has offered him. That is amazing, and congratulations. What an accomplishment. I'm, I'm so happy for Morris. That's wonderful. All Thank right, well, you, you know, um, Billie Holiday is inspiring us to talk about diabetes milestones. She's not, she wasn't living with diabetes, everyone. I want to make that clear, but I'm using her as an inspiration to talk about milestones. I want to start with you, Patricia. Um, the discovery of insulin dates back to almost a century ago, and at the time of its discovery, the, the Canadians who discovered it, uh, Frederick Banting and medical student Charles Best, sold the patent to the university for a dollar, stating that the profit was not their goal. So the question is, why today, a century later, isn't there a cheaper, more generic brand of insulin on the market? That's a good question. You know, <laughs> insulin is very expensive, and for those who are diagnosed with type 1, is necessary. And, um, you know, there is no getting around it. Type 2 patients also um, may require insulin. So we do need to come up with some better pricing for uh, insulin because it can be very, very expensive. A vial of insulin costs approximately anywhere between 90 to $125 just for a vial. And depending on the dosage, one vial may not last the entire month. So it can be very expensive if it's an out-of-pocket cost. But I can say that there is a uh, generic version that Walmart now sells. Um, it's been around for a while. It's called the Rely On, R-E-L-I-O-N, Rely On Insulin. And uh, this insulin is much cheaper per vial. It's approximately $25 uh, per vial. So that's, that's a big differentiation in the cost. Are you losing um, quality over cost, though? I mean, if people are listening, what's what's the quality like on insulin? Do you know? Well, I have patients, consumers who do use Rely On, and uh, across the board, they get good efficacy using it. However, uh, once it's prescribed, it has, your blood sugars need to be monitored. You need to continue to see your doctor, of course, and to be tested to see what the dosing might be. And dosing may vary. So you right. can't just switch it dose for dose and expect to get the same quality. Um, and sometimes that happens, but not in all instances. Some people may have to increase the dosage, but it's usually not that drastic of an increase. So it's pretty comparable. Uh, Susan, I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. 
I'm sorry? I'd like to hear what you think of this cheaper brand of insulin. Have you ever recommended that people take Relyon? I have. I have because I do work with a population uh, from time to time of uninsured individuals who have to pay for their insulin out of pocket. And in my opinion, even if you have to take more of it, it's better to be able to obtain it and to be compliant with whatever dosage is necessary rather than to go without it. So, yes, I do recommend rely on. And how about you, Susan? Oh, I agree. I think that it's it works well. I've used it with my patients as well. There seems to be a lack of familiarity with some of the endocrinologists and physicians in recommending it. So with CDEs, it's important to get the word out there that there are less expensive choices of insulin out there, and that's one of the good choices. I agree. I just... I hope people are listening because I would hate to think that, and I know it has to be true, that finances are a roadblock to someone's care, and I'm glad there's an alternative out there. All right, so, Susan, I want to move on and talk to another milestone with you. You're, you're a registered dietitian. Um, you have other wonderful credits, including your certified diabetes educator. But I want to talk about a milestone from the 1970s, which is when high-fructose corn syrup was first introduced into the American diet. At the time, cane and beet sugars were the primary sweeteners used in the U.S. However, in the 70s, due to trade restrictions and climate changes and the general, uh, general price conditions, cane sugar became cost prohibitive, and so they began using sugars from the popular U.S. crop, corn. Uh, we've all heard this term, high fructose corn syrup. Why is it significant, and why should we even be talking about it, and, and why in our diets? Why is it, what, what role has it played? So you're right. In the last 20 or 30 years, food companies have put what we call high fructose corn syrup, and you'll see it abbreviated in some of the literature as HFCS. So if you see those letters, that's what it stands for, high fructose corn syrup. And what it actually is is a mixture of fructose, which is the fruit sugar that we find in fruit that we eat, and we'll differentiate between that and what's in high fructose corn syrup in a moment, and glucose. So let's also remember, Max, that fructose and glucose are the same components that make up sucrose or table sugar. But high fructose corn syrup is inexpensive. It transports well, so food companies like to use it, and it keeps food moist. But we've noticed that what they use, because it's inexpensive, so food companies use it in a lot of inexpensive, highly sweetened foods because it's very sweet. So you'll find it in sugary sodas and soft drinks like sports drinks, and you'll find it in a lot of the very sugary sweetened cereal. The research is kind of mixed on it. If you eat fruit sugar in the form of fruit, remember you're getting along with that vitamins, minerals, and, of course, fiber. But if you eat a lot of extra calories in those other high-sugary nutrient the foods that lack the nutrients, then you have a problem because you're probably eating more and more of them. Some of the arguments are that fructose um, is does not stimulate insulin production or leptin production, which is a hormone that stimulates satiety. But most of the research does show that there are not significant differences between a high intake of high fructose corn syrup and sugar. So the bottom line is people probably are eating more processed food 
because it tastes so good and so sweet that contains high fructose corn sugar syrup, I'm sorry, that increases the amount of calories we eat and therefore leads to weight gain and insulin resistance and everything that goes along with it. Learn to read labels and eat fewer processed foods that contain sugar and high fructose corn sugar. And you could do that just by simply dropping uh, the sodas and the sports drinks from your diet and see a weight reduction, correct? I mean, I remember when they were talking about the supersized soda ban in New York, and I did an interview in Central Park, and the gentleman said he gave up sodas, and and within a year he lost 15 pounds just by giving up his Coca-Cola. And remember, just by giving up your Coca-Cola and all the additional sport drinks that do contain the high-fructose corn syrup, and if you replace it with what we should be drinking, which is more water, and you stay more hydrated with water, you're going to get a lot of benefits from drinking the water. And, and to what you said before about people eating, you know, not with, with the insulin, with what we were talking about with insulin, people should not avoid eating fruits and vegetables if they can't afford, for example, organic. You can eat some organic foods if you can afford them, but you shouldn't give up fruits and vegetables because you can't afford the organic type. So eating more healthy and whole foods just across the board is healthy and good for everybody. And, the, and I love that advice, and thank you both for participating. All right, so uh, let's hear another song by Billie Holiday that many music critics believe is her greatest vocal per- performance, courtesy of Sony Music. I must have that man I'm like an oven that's crying for heat He treats me awful each time that we just unlawful how that boy can cheat, but I must have that man. I love those lyrics. All right, you're listening to Billy Holiday on Diabetes Late Night, courtesy of Sony Music. It's time to meet our fabulous real-life diva. She's from Los Angeles. Please welcome Marie. Hi, Marie. Hey, Max. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure because, you know, tonight we're celebrating milestones, and um, you're celebrating quite a milestone. It's your 15-year anniversary of your weight loss. Yes. Yes. So unbelievable that is. It's pretty incredible because, you know, a lot of times we see TV and we watch the celebrities and it's all about losing weight, but many of them don't maintain the weight. And here you've been successful at it. And I want to find out what you think your secret, what you think your secrets are for being able to do that. But first, talk, let's go back in time. Uh, how much did you weigh? What made you want to change uh, the way you looked? And what inspired you to even take on a weight loss journey? Okay, now starting with how much did I weigh? Um, at my biggest, I was about 235 pounds. Okay. And um, what made me, well, I've, I've always, since I was about 10 years old, I started doing weight loss programs. My, my mom took me to Weight Watchers. Um, I did Nutrisystem, I did Jenny Craig, I did everything. I even did, uh, when uh, the liquids were big, I did one of those programs. None of them oh, were like successful. Oh, like Oprah? Right, yeah. And, it was, yeah, and it was right around then, too, when she did that. 
and she lost all of that weight initially. Um, but none of them were successful. And what I what I found every time I I attempted one of those programs, well, first of all, um, you know, anybody who has food issues, especially a program like Jenny Craig, where you go to meetings and then they give you a bag of food, I would that whole that bag would be done for me in a day. I would never I was never able to have it last for the week, but that's, you know, that's the problem you run into when somebody basically hands you a bag of groceries, because that's how Jenny Craig at least used to work when I did it. Um, but for me, all of those programs, the, the overwhelming pro- problem I see in all of them is that, is that at some point you have to confront real-time, real food decisions. And those programs get you into a habit of having the program to back you up. Like even if you're in social situations, they they want you to introduce the program and find ways to navigate the program in those social settings. I found that that doesn't work for me. I need to be able to confront actual food and real calories, think about the implications, and make a decision. So that's what finally helped me is to actually confront it and make real life, real food decisions. Because when I when I let that go and stopped trying to fit the plan I was on into my life, it allowed me to just deal with the reality. And the reality is, is though programs, those programs sort of keep you um, as a customer. And it's not like I'm saying some people aren't successful with them, but that is their goal is to maintain that customer relationship. And I needed to feel like I wasn't always going to have to be accountable to that kind of situation. I wanted to just own it and be able to navigate the world and make decisions on my own. And after years and years and years, I've just figured out a way, but it does involve actually um, having a connection to what you're about to consume on a day-to-day basis. Okay, so you were inspired by your grandmother as well to take on this journey. Yeah, well, you know, just being um, a black woman, you grow up with that whole idea of at some point you will – at least I did, where I was I was worried about putting on extra weight. You hear about putting on weight around your middle, and that sort of allows things to start happening to you physically. But my grandma, um, I grew up with my grandma who was, who was diabetic, and um, although she wasn't very heavy, she did like sweets. And I remember um, that the diabetes got to a point where she um, no longer had sight, and that scared me, the idea that you could sort of eat your way to losing your vision or just making bad choices and losing your vision. So as a kid, that was the first thing that scared me, and I didn't want that to happen. And um, I also remember loving Ella Fitzgerald, and I'd always seen her records, but it wasn't until um, I was very, very small, and I saw her on a television show, and she had lost her legs to diabetes, and that was just jarring to me, that that was something that could happen. Um and then, I'm sorry, I sort of just lost what I was going off on a tangent if you want to reel me back in. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, and then – hello, Max? Yeah, I'm listening. Did you – oh. Um, and then it was just little things. Um, you know, I just wanted to feel like I had the tools in place to, to get older. You know, I, I felt that I had all the time in the world when I was a, when I was a teen and I was in my 20s, and you just feel like, well, at some point I'll deal with it. At some point I'll deal with it. And then um, what ended up happening is that I um, got fibroids, and then I found out how much um, of a correlation there is to how much weight you carry and how fast your fibroids grow. And um, I, I ended up having to have um, a hysterectomy at a very young age. 
And that I think was my ultimate wake up call because I felt that I had somehow allowed my food addiction to take away any chance I had at having children. And I think that finally made me think I've got to figure this out. And I moved to Los Angeles and I started to walk. I had always dreaded living in a place like this where it's warm and you have to sort of be aware of your body year-round because I didn't have that in New York, but it actually helped me because I didn't sort of lose track of how I looked six months out of the year because of weather. And I started to walk and explore places that I didn't know, and because of just the way Los Angeles is, there are a lot of inclines, and it just resulted in weight coming off, but it didn't feel like a chore or a task. It was just a natural way of going about my day. And then that coupled with my food choices resulted in the weight finally coming off. So how um, much that's how I lose? did it, and that worked for me. I lost 80 pounds. You lost 80 pounds? I lost, you've I lost 80 pounds from, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've kept it off for 15 years. So what's your day like years. now maintaining it? Like how, you know, because you're talking about being 80 pounds heavier in New York, now you're 80 pounds lighter in Los Angeles. It's 15 years later. Do you ever have cravings for those old foods? You know, are you still oh, working all out? Time, all the time. All the time. I'm still working out. I still have the cravings, but I just have to manage them. You know, it's it's unrealistic for me to not think that I'm not going to have my regular cravings for stuff like carrot cake or, you know, just just yummy, you know, you know the foods that everybody craves. I have them, but I, and I have to indulge in them. Otherwise, I run the risk of just going really, you know, off the rails. So I try to just um, think about the cravings when I have them and have something that addresses it but have something that doesn't demolish everything I've done. But every day there is at some point where I take stock and I think about where I am food-wise and try to make it through the day. But it's a day-to-day thing, even though it's 15 years down the road. Well, Marie, you know, someone is listening tonight who is probably where you were 15 years ago, has tried many different things, has not been successful, is considering due to health reasons perhaps or other relationship uh, ending or whatever, they might, and some are quickly approaching that now they want to try it again. What kind of advice would you give someone out there right now? Just start. Just start. Just Just do a real start. Don't, you know, start at noon and then by 1 o'clock you've already had something and you've thrown away the day. Take every hour of the day as an opportunity to make a good food choice. Don't make one bad choice and then throw away the day. Just keep going forward, keep going forward. And don't take the temperature every five minutes. I don't get on a scale. I have one pair of pants that I try on just to see how they fit because they're tricky. And so if I fit into these pants, I know where the numbers are, even though I'm not looking at the numbers. And that's one rule that I suggest for everybody is to get off of the scale and really get to know your body and really get to see how your body changes. Because my body even changes within a day. Um, I Sometimes when I sit, I'll be a little, I'll be, you know, I'll, you swell a little. And that can kind of play with you because you think, oh, I'm gaining weight, I'm gaining weight. No, it's not. It's just how your body functions but the more you get in tune with it the more those little fluctuations won't frighten you you just sort of roll with it um as far as you know my day-to-day stuff i have breakfast lunch dinner and i have regular food it's really about um if you have something here that perhaps was a little bit too indulgent you just subtract it from your next time that you encounter food but um 
you just can't you just can't stop and you actually have to really accept what i what i say is like the basic the basic food math no matter what plan you're on no matter how much you know knowledge you have there's math that you can't get around and you have to deny yourself 3500 calories to drop 1 pound you can't get around that so no matter if you're doing some kind of liquid, if you're doing Jenny or Nutrisystem, that math does not change. So you just have to figure out a way that you deny yourself 3,500 calories to lose a pound and then just go from there because that's the only thing that's certain is that number. That number does not change. That's just the amount of energy it takes. I love it. That's and I don't real think advice. people realize that that's the number. Real advice that you put to yeah. use. Thank you. All right. Well, you know, Marie, that I like to play games. So we're going to be playing a game. But first, I thought we'd get into that summer mood and listen to another song composed by George Gershwin and featuring our diva inspiration, Billie Holiday. This one was remixed and remastered for younger fans and people who like to move like Marie and I. So let's take a listen to Summertime. with all the great songs you're hearing tonight on our show. All right, Marie, it's time for our first game. It's called Ivy's Brain Teasers. I just placed it, played it at the Easter parade, and I've got a string quartet working with me tonight. So here's your question. Are you ready? Marie? Thank you for holding. We'll be with you shortly. Marie? All right, I think she's back. Marie, are you there? Nope. All right, Susan Weiner, you're back on. How are you? I'm well. Well, we're waiting for Marie to get back on. What did you think of her weight loss journey? Did you have anything as a registered dietitian, certified diabetes educator you wanted to tell people about? Extremely inspirational, and what I thought while I was listening to Marie was that everybody has their own inspiration and their own story. And I just want everybody out there to know that you can do it. Um, there's no hope, wish, or try. There's just do. Jump right in. Just make one little step, one little change today in what you're doing for your health, and you'll be glad tomorrow that you did it. Every day that you don't make one small change and get to your next milestone is a day that you're going to regret not doing it. So whatever works for you, try to do it and look for support. Um, ask a friend, a colleague, a coworker, a family member for a little bit of help if you need it. You don't have to go it all on your own. So I thought she was amazing. Great. All right. Well, we're going to um, – guess what, listeners? I'm going to do five, ten extra minutes of bonus time tonight. But first we're going to meet one of my favorite divas, Mama Rosemarie. Hi, Mama Rosemarie. Good evening, Max. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well. Thank you. We're celebrating milestones. What milestone do you want to highlight tonight? Oh, um, 
Well, uh, I guess my milestone this week is that I am feeling so much better. Um, the last time we talked on the uh, podcast, I was not doing too well with my back problem. And I um, feel that it's a milestone that I got through that and feel really great tonight. So I'm glad to be here with good health. Great, and we're but glad I want to have to you. Congratulate. Excuse me? No, we're glad to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I wanted to congratulate all those people with their wonderful milestones, my heavens, and especially Patricia's husband. And that just made my heart pound how wonderful. I'm so proud that he is a citizen of our great country. All right, so now please share your tip. Yes, I'd be glad to. My tip this month is to be sure people around you make you feel good about you, no matter what your size or your health condition. In addition, if you have close friends who encourage you to smoke or overeat or drink too much, try to find some new friends who have good health habits and also those friends who will encourage you to be a healthier you. Ciao for now. Thanks, Mama Rosemary. All right, I promise we're going to do about eight to ten minutes more bonus time. We've got a mystery guest who's coming up. But first I want to hear another jazz standard written by Billie Holiday herself. She famously performed it on a TV special called The Sound of Jazz, courtesy of Sony Music. But if you cheat me right, baby, I'll stay home every day. My next guest is making, has been making DivaBetics feel fine and mellow for the last 10 years. Please welcome the DivaBetic webmaster, web designer, and artist, fine artist herself, Susan McCaslin. Hi, Susan. Susan? Are you there, Susan? All right, well, I'm I'm on the line, and I'll tell you that Susan McCaslin has been helping me for the last 10 years with our DivaBetic uh, website, and tonight is going to have her join us to celebrate our 10-year um, milestone with us. We'll see if she's there one more time. If not, we will uh, go back to the team and talk to um, – I want to talk to Susan Wiener about the diabetes – diabetes teasers that we had at the Easter parade. You know, um, Susan, we were at the Easter parade challenging everyday people with some diabetes questions. You came up with a great one, which is, what is G-R-A-S? I had no idea what that is. What is it? So G-R-A-S. I'm the, I'm the other Susan on the line. I know. So G-R-A-S. <laughs> okay. um, G-R-A-S which stands for, which sounds like the word grass, stands for generally recognized as safe. So, for example, before a sugar substitute or sweetener can be legally added to a food or beverage, it must either have FDA approval or be accepted as grass or generally regarded as safe. Well, it goes back to label reading. Everybody has to be a label detective and know what these symbols and these words mean. 
Absolutely. You know what? I'm going to be at the Mermaid Parade in Coney Island challenging people with more diabetes brain teasers. I hope everyone out there could uh, join me to be part of that incredible pageantry. I love to promote creativities over candy and sweeteners for the holidays. And if you've never been to Coney Island, you definitely want to check out the Mermaid Parade. Um, Before we close, I want to remind everyone that I'm going to be doing my tribute podcast to Luther Vandross this Thursday, April 16th. In his honor, we'll be talking about the 1990s, which is when I began my career working for Luther. And joining me on the show will be his former vocalist, Paulette McWilliams, Pat uh, Lacey, as well as former band members, Byron Miller and Kevin Owens. Plus, we'll have Luther historian Leon Petrosian with us and superfan Jane from Britain will be joining that show. Now, I'd like to thank all my guests tonight for tuning, for participating, and thank you most of all for listening. Please subscribe to the Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org and visit our Facebook page and videos at Mr. Divabetic's YouTube channel. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. We're going to close this podcast with Billie Holiday's take on one of the most popular songs of its eras. Please enjoy. Oh.